Welcome to Love Canberra, a show about love, sex, and relationships here in the heart of the nation. I'm Ivana Ho. Love at first sight is generally considered the stuff of fiction. It's a Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks movie, a foolish fantasy. And it's easy to see why people might think that way. After all, what kind of person just knows in seeing someone for the first time that they're meant to be with them, without knowing anything at all about that someone, what they're like as a person, whether they're even single, sometimes not even their name. Maria Josie hadn't believed in love at first sight either, until it happened to her. It was September 1988. The setting was a Beltane festival, Beltane being one of the major celebrations on the pagan calendar. Maria doesn't identify as pagan. She was brought along to the festival by her best friend. And it's a very good thing she was, or she might never have met Simon. When they first saw each other, he was running the fire component of a ritual involving the elements earth, air, fire and water. She was one of the last people to approach him, and suddenly he found himself hopelessly and inexplicably distracted. For the 50 or so other people who'd come through, I had played my part perfectly and uh, when Maria came I had a lot of trouble. I had a fire uh, fire dancing stick which I, I dropped it went out I had a, a fire on um, in a little cubicle on, on the ground and that had gone out and I had to add more fuel and uh, I was stumbling my words and uh, it was very strange and uh, I guess I was a bit taken by surprise that it was occurring and and uh, confused as to why it was occurring I'm not a clumsy person by nature Maria, however, knew exactly why it was happening. He's like, I don't know why this is happening. And in my head, I was going, oh, I know why this is happening. For me, it was really difficult because I felt like I just had all of the knowledge, but I couldn't share anything without revealing myself. Maria's world stopped when she saw Simon, and some other pretty incredible things happened to her too. I wasn't on hallucinogenic drugs or anything like that. I was completely sober. But here I was watching this extremely bizarre event where whatever exists inside of me and whatever exists inside of Simon came out of our bodies and connected. It jumped towards each other. They bonded together in front of me and then flew back into our insides. I was completely dumbfounded and, yeah, in my head was the the voice that just said, it's him. And 
I questioned myself in my own head, you know, him, who? And um, it was at that point that I realised, oh, my God, it's it's him. This is it. This is the one. And it was at that point everything started moving again. I was taken by her energy. Um, but I, I, I guess at that stage I wasn't really looking at, at, at her as such. It was more a case of trying to do this and, and failing. When I came out of that space was to find Simon sort of looking at me. I have no idea what he must have been doing at the time. I really have. It's it's almost like being removed from time. But, um, yeah, to have him standing there looking at me going, what are you thinking? And um, I was processing everything that I had just seen. I was trying to process that he was the one. And to have him ask me that question all I could come up with to tell him was, oh, you, you really don't want to know what I'm thinking. At that stage, I was trying to get a response from her and she, and she seemed to be somewhere else completely. So, yeah, I was trying to find out if she'd taken on any of what I'd been saying. <laughs> he stopped talking and I said, are you finished? And he said, yes. And I said, good. And I walked off and again in my my head was this voice from nowhere that just said, you will never be happy again. And in my soul, I could feel, well, it was because I was walking away from him and it was sort of, you know, he was going to be the one. And, yeah, to walk away from him is, is going to remove any chance of happiness I'll ever have in my whole entire life. But I was still overwhelmed, still frightened, and I had to get out. I had to get away from get away from him. Before meeting Simon, I had always, you know, I'd I'd heard about stories about love at first sight and, oh, you know, there'd be fireworks and there'd be all these really amazing things that would happen. And uh, through all my relationships and my past, I'd kind of, guess got to the point where I figured that love at first sight did not happen it was not real didn't occur to anybody that you know it was a fanciful thing that was made up by people to you know make everyone else's relationships look extremely poor (laughs) you know so I I didn't believe in it um I and I barely believed in a lot of relationships because I had broken up in a I had been in a previous relationship which had broken up and it had been pretty bad and yeah I just figured that none of that existed true love no I think companionship was something that was easier to aspire for so the entire experience took me by surprise and completely changed the way I looked at the entire world and myself. So Maria, you felt instantly that Simon was the one and the person that you were meant to be with forever, pretty much in that moment, but you didn't know anything about him. Um, So when you began to learn more about him, how did what you learned fit into that initial intuition? Oh, look, it was ages before, you know, I even realised that, well, especially that I even lived in Canberra, when I'd been at the Pagan Festival, because we were leaving the next day, and 
I had been hoping that he just really just lived in Sydney or something so that I could just get over it. Um, but I knew that I was in love with him. There was just no question about it. I just didn't, I had no idea who he was or what his name was or anything like that. I had been at the Pagan Festival with someone I had been seeing at the time and I had made it very clear to that person that there was never going to be a future between us because I was in love with someone else. I made it extremely clear by the very next day because my understanding of what happened, um, yeah, it just became my life. So you had this feeling but um, but you didn't know anything about Simon. Um, uh-huh. Was there, I mean, you, I, I guess there are some people who, you know, we, we really want to love and then the more we learn about them, the more we realise that they might not be able to fit into our lives or the more we realise that they might not be compatible with us. Did it really matter to you what, who Simon was going to turn out to be? When I fell in love with him, that was it. He could have been recently released from prison. I'm really thankful he wasn't. <laughs> it it made no difference. I was in love with him. It was one of the things that made me sort of realise that, you know, love is truly blind. You really can just fall in love with anybody. Um, I would always consider that, you know, when I'm choosing a partner, I would choose a partner by, you know, a certain set of morals. We have certain likes or dislikes or that we yeah, at least have something in common that we can do together. Um, definitely be able to have conversations with them, um, you know, that they like my friends or my family. All of those sorts of considerations would be things that I had previously you know, used to choose a partner, especially looks, for example. Um, you know, as I was younger, I always thought, you know, my ideal male is he's tall with dark hair and dark brooding eyes and looks a little bit like Pierce Brosnan. You know, <laughs> he's gorgeous. And uh, that was the kind of thing. That's what I thought was attractive. When it came to Simon, I I fell in love with him before he was any of those things. He was nothing. I didn't even, I I couldn't see what he looked like. Yeah, I, I couldn't hear him. Uh, there was none of those things. I was in love with him no matter who he was and what he used to be, what he would become. Um, it was just, he was the one and that's it. That's all there was to it. It was two and a half months before they saw each other again. During that entire period, from the time I fell in love with him, I was plagued by dreams uh, every single night about him. I was plagued all day, so all day, all night, for that two and a half months. Um, And that's how long it took for me to even realise that he even lived in the same city as me. In fact, he was only a couple of suburbs away. which is uh, tragic now. I wish I'd known. It turned out that they had a mutual friend. One day, two and a half months after the festival, the mutual friend was at Simon's house and decided they should go to Maria's. And so it was that Simon and Maria were properly introduced. 
From there, they caught up two more times, in all, three times in the span of a week. The fourth time they saw each other was on Maria's birthday. She'd chosen that day to tell Simon how she felt about him, but there were a few obstacles as far as she could tell. There was friends of his that told me that, oh no, he's really trying to get back with his ex-wife, you know, he's not going to look at you sideways, he's he's not interested in you, he, he wants to repair his marriage and, um, you know, don't even go there. I had my best friend um, say that I shouldn't actually attempt the relationship, that he was too meek and mild, um, that I was going to kill him. <laughs> I think by, by mere personality. The couple of times that I did see him, I had been trying to evaluate where he really did stand with his ex-wife. I certainly didn't want to be the other woman. If he was trying to repair his marriage, I was certainly never going to tell him how I felt. But there was one uh, there was one thing I'd, I'd heard him talking to her on the phone. There was something that he'd said that made me realise, no, 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 he, he's, he's open. He's not with her. He's open for a relationship and I can do this. A couple of days passed and Maria's birthday, the day of reckoning, arrived. I, I was so scared by the thought of rejection. I just wanted to give myself a little bit more inner power. So what I decided to do was I got dressed up as an, a Native American Indian. I don't have an American past or anything like that, but a little, you know, and I had this lovely suede little dress and I put on some war paint and I braided my hair and I um, got a kind of little tool belt where I stuck a few little weapons, you know, there was an axe and, a, and some daggers and um, I had a spear and my friend came along and um, I had contacted Simon and said, oh, look, you know, I want to come over to your place. You know, can you just be at your house on the Sunday? And uh, I had told him that he needed to make rice because I was bringing over some food. He had to actually appear with rice and welcome us to, it was kind of like to his little village, but I was declaring war in his village and, you know, and he was going to be the representative of, of his world and I was a representative of mine and if he didn't make peace with me I was going to attack him. <laughs> it was all very strange. Um, I performed a ritual where I washed his feet and um, a couple of other things and I think he found that it was a very unusual situation to be in but I'm one of these people that likes to dress up and it just gave me that little bit of extra courage to to go there in this this spirit of, you know, I'm coming here, this is what I want, this is what I'm going to get, it's my birthday, <laughs> uh, which he didn't realise until much later in the evening that it was my birthday. And then we'd sat down to dinner and we had a game of truth or dare, just like teenagers. <laughs> Uh, we'd been playing it for a little while and my friend that had come along with me, she had to go back home because she had a, a son that she had to get back to. 
And so it had got it had been her turn in truth and dare, and she had asked me, and I said, well, truth. And she's like, do you like Simon? And I said, yes. <laughs> and it was very hard uh, because it was so hard opening up about my feelings. Um, yeah, it was, it was just hard. Even though I knew that I was going there to do this, I was still very, very scared of rejection because it was going to devastate me. This was about my entire life, my entire future. This was not about, you know, oh, gee, you're really cute. Oh, let's go dating. Let's go to the movies. Let's go out to dinner and, you know, let's let's find out if we've even got the same interests. Um, he was He was the rest of my life and I was having to prepare myself to have to tell him that. So, in this game of truth or dare, in answer to a friend's question, Maria had said yes. Yes, she liked Simon. Of course, her feelings were significantly stronger than mere like, but she knew better than to blurt out the whole truth then and there. If I had revealed everything right then and there, I think I would have scared him. Um, It was more to just sort of ease into it. I realised that the, the truth that I had it was hard enough for me to absorb, let alone having to tell someone that I realised did not have the same experience. I mean, and, and I knew it. I knew he hadn't gone through that, so he didn't have that undeniable truth. How was I supposed to convince him of that? You know, like we're destined to be. We are the reason we're born, the reason we're here together is because we're destined. It's just me and you. That's all there is. It was much easier for me to just tell him I liked him, yeah, at that point. Next, their friend turned to Simon. Did he like Maria? I answered, well, yes, yes, I do. And and her friend turned around and said, well, right, I'm leaving. See you. She, she, she did. She just said, oh, you know, well, my job's over. And she got up, packed her bags, and she walked out the house, and we was, we were stuck there at the table, just the two of us. And... Um, I'm the, you know, I can't even remember what actually happened after that. Did I tell you then or the next we, day? Well, well, we, well, we stayed up late just, uh, just chatting and mm. um, probably playing some backgammon and drinking wine. And I did stay the night. I did actually explain it to you that night. That's what we would have been explaining because I said to mm. him, "Look, I can't, I can't hold hands with you. I can't kiss you. I can't do anything with you because." You know, if you turn around tomorrow or even next week or even a year down the track and say that it's not for you, I'm going to be devastated. I really actually can't do any of this. Um, and although I stayed the night, and I did actually stay the night in his bed, I I was fully clothed. I was fully clothed and he wasn't to come anywhere near me. It was a hard night's sleep, but I did tell him that night that I had been in love with him for three months. I explained the the situation that had happened to me when I had come up to him at the pagan festival at the ritual. I told him exactly what had happened and he did actually exclaim that it was a lot to take in because uh, I'd said, you know, look, you know, if you need to get to know me a little better, you know, because uh, it, it, it is hard information. Um, but he at that stage had decided that he would um, give the 
entire conversation, 24 hours to think about it. Um, because I was after, it was all or nothing. I, I would not have been able to even be friends with him. I wouldn't have been able to be in the same room as him. Um, I had already taken into the consideration that if he had decided that he didn't want to go ahead with it, it was going to possibly be even hard for me to live a couple of suburbs away from him. What Maria was asking of Simon when he said he would decide over the next 24 hours was whether he would engage in a long-term commitment to Maria akin to marriage. To anyone else, that might have seemed like an incredibly tall order, especially given they'd only known each other for a week. But Simon wouldn't need 24 hours. He took 18 to get back to Maria with an answer. For me, I, well, it, it felt right. There, there was no alarm bells going off. There was no, you know, what are you getting yourself into? Um, I hadn't been looking for a relationship. I hadn't been looking for love, but it came and uh, I couldn't say, I couldn't walk away from that. And uh, I've made my mind up and uh, I'll, let's do it. Let's uh Let's fall in love. Let's fall in love. Although Simon made the commitment that he did, at that point, his feelings weren't on par with Maria's. She'd fallen in love at first sight. He still had some catching up to do. This pained Maria that he didn't feel quite the same as she did. But that would change two months later. In late February 1999, they were at the house of some friends of Simon's. He'd been having dinner with them every Sunday for the past couple of months, and on this occasion, Simon brought Maria along because he wanted them to meet her. I think it was shortly after dinner and we were settling down on, on the sofa in a, mm. in a sunken lounge. Yep. And uh, they'd gone off to clean up in the kitchen. That was that point that the emotions started bubbling to the surface. He just burst into tears. The, the tears were just flowing. I thought something had happened to him. I was, I, I, I felt a bit heartbroken because I thought something had upset him. And uh, so it was, you know, I'd run to him like, oh, my God, what's the matter? Are you okay? <laughs> and, uh, and, and he had explained it to me that, uh, yeah, he just realised how connected we were. That was the actual sentence he said. I was so happy and uh, so excited that that it had happened to him. So I started to kiss his tears away. I think it had been coming for a while, but uh, I just couldn't contain it any longer. Um, the emotion just came right to the surface and, and that was it. <laughs> so there they were, Simon and Maria. After a bad marriage behind each of them, they had finally found each other. And having made very early on the commitment that they did, it was a good thing they discovered they complemented one another. But more than that, more than just one having strengths where the other was weak, they build each other up and try to make the other person stronger. In my previous relationship, I 
I guess I, I lost a lot of confidence and, and a bit of self-esteem. And, um, and Maria helped, helped bring that back in me. And she's, she's a pretty amazing person. I think when I first met Simon, he was a lot quieter and he was very polite and very pleasant. And I think that was the persona he'd really given the world at that time. He was raised beautifully. Um, by his mother. She's a lovely lady and uh, she did an amazing job with Simon, um, but he was. He's very polite. He's very gentlemanly, but I found that he was, you know, in some scenarios, he was likely to uh, be taken advantage of because he just had that sweet nature that people would take advantage of him, and that includes his ex-wife. But, yeah, he, he was quite willing to sort of, like, bow down. And I couldn't deal with that. So when we were first dating, I was like, no, I, I need to I need to be really proud of my man. You know, you need to stand up and say, this is not what I want. You know, don't don't bow into it. So um, I think I really sort of assisted in, in the beginning of our relationship for him to sort of be able to find that voice that's, that he was able to tell other people no when his heart was saying no. So he was given a bit more freedom, I think, with me to to basically just totally ask for what he wanted. And that made me proud of him. I was extremely proud of his um, development, I guess, in that regard. How long into your relationship did you start talking about marriage? Well, we've been living in separate houses for about, a, was it a year, year and a half? Yeah, we were living in separate houses for quite a long time. Simon had at one point said that he'd actually like me to move in to his house. I had stated that I didn't want to actually move into his house until I'd actually at least become the longest girlfriend he'd ever had. Um, which at that point wasn't actually all that long anyway, not on my terms. If he'd said the same thing about me, we would have had to have waited eight and a half years. But um, I moved in with him about a year and a half afterwards and we got married in 2002. So there was, a, I think I had lived with him for about a year and a half before the subject of, marriage even came about and in fact it didn't start off that way we had put a bed out in our dining room because we had a nice fireplace there and we we're going to sleep in front of the fireplace and we'd been reading Thomas the Rhymer which is one of my favorite books and so he'd been reading that out to me I'd actually kind of fallen asleep to tell you the truth <laughs> I'd, I'd been lying on his lap and I'd fallen asleep while he was talking because he's got such a beautiful, melodious voice. And uh, he'd stopped talking and I kind of woke up. And um, Simon had actually asked me if I would get hand-fasted to him. I took a couple of seconds to kind of think about that and turned around and said, well, i tell you what. I'll get hand-fasted to you if you marry me first. Wait, what's hand-fasting? Well, it's um, a pagan marriage ceremony. Um, it's basically it's a commitment ceremony um, in front of friends and family. You could 
be hand fasted for a year and a day or for the rest of your life. But it's not a uh, recognised ceremony or anything like that. You can get hand fasted with a celebrant and, and uh, make it official. So was there an official proposal in terms of the marriage proposal? That was it. <laughs> well, I didn't get down on one knee. <laughs> I did the asking, basically. I I was quite happy to get hand-fasted to him. We, we don't really share the same sort of spiritual backgrounds. We're both very spiritual people. Um, I was quite happy to go through a hand-fasting if that's what it took, but I really wanted to just marry him. I, I'd been ready to marry him the whole time. <laughs> so for me, you know, it was a long time coming. And so when he asked me that, it was kind of like, yeah, sure, I'll do that if you marry me. So given the two of you had each been married before, what did marriage mean to you in that moment? And how were you going to do things differently? Well, to me, it was an official commitment, not just to each other, but uh, in front of friends and family saying, no, we're doing it for the long, long haul and uh, we're totally in love with each other and and we just want to share that with our friends and family. I knew I was going to be with him forever and honest to God, I realised being married before that I got married for all the wrong reasons. I didn't know what love was. I wasn't in love with my ex-partner. I had never been in love in my whole entire life and I think love is why people should get married. Um, there should be no other reason. And the problem is, is that previously, yeah, I didn't know what love was and I had a small ideal on what it took to be in a committed relationship and, you know, part of that was just, yeah, you know, trying hard as you can to just keep it together. Um, but that's not love. I'm thoroughly in love with Simon still, and uh, I could marry him every single day of the week, even today. But to get married to Simon was that, yeah, I I want to come forward and I want I want the world to know. This is like shouting from the mountaintops. It's like this this is why people get married. People get married because you are one. We are going to become one, and I want to share that with my family and my friends. And, and I want it to be the, the main thing I tell people in, in everyday walk of life. You know, I was so in love with Simon, I couldn't perceive anything other than we needed to get married. We, we needed to make this uh, a reality on a conscious level for everyone around us. Mm. We're, yeah, we're not just individuals anymore. We're one. We are definitely one. Maria and Simon got married on the first Saturday of July in 2002. It was a month and a half after Simon's proposal and Maria's counter-proposal. They did it at their annual Yule dinner, which they described as being like a Christmas in July. Everyone wore medieval fancy dress, bought a meal and a performance, and Maria made up games that required guests to do weird and embarrassing things. After I had actually told my best friend that we were getting 
we were going to have a wedding that Simon had decided he actually wanted a surprise wedding. So I actually had to call her back and say, you're not allowed to tell a single soul. No one's allowed to know. So we uh, found a, a celebrant who was uh, happy to, to dress up as well. And uh, we were inspired by uh, the movie The Princess Bride. And from the from the book on the movie, we um, took the, the wedding speech, the famous one that Peter Falk does, uh, not Peter Falk, sorry, uh, Peter Cook does uh, mm. Mowage. <laughs> Mowage, that glorious arrangement. That dream within a dream. <laughs> The celebrant turned up two hours after everyone else. When he launched into the words that he had to say by law, followed by the speech from the Princess Bride, at first the guests thought he was just another performer. They just thought his performance was the marriage speech from the Princess Bride and it was really quite funny because everybody was being quite noisy in the room and um, the celebrant uh, actually had a hearing problem and kept calling me Mariah. Um, so we had one guest that was there was going, yay, go Mariah, um, you know, right through this celebrant trying to perform our wedding. But as the moments were going past, the room just got quieter and quieter and people started to recognise, oh, my God, they are, this is it, they're actually getting married. By the end of it, when we finished, there was still someone we had to say, no, we actually got married. They, they honestly thought it was a play that we had put on a play for their entertainment. One person, by the end of it, just yeah, didn't think it had happened. A couple of people did know what was going on. I had to, to uh, tell my mum and uh, Maria had to tell her brother. Otherwise, they wouldn't have come. They, they, uh, they had already had other plans. But of course, once we told them we were getting married, it was, uh, oh, OK, we'll be there. <laughs> like at any wedding, Maria and Simon exchanged marriage vows that had a month and a half to write them, and for them, it was a collaborative process. So a lot of the time, Simon would come up to me, like, in that time, he was like, oh, you know, what if I promise you, you know, in my vows to love you forever? And I said, well, I'm going to, I'd have to hold you to that. And, you know, you're better off just making sure that you only promise things that you're, you know, absolutely certain you you could even even manage. You know, what happens after fifty years? You know, what if what if you don't love me? I'm still going to want you to love me because you promised me. You know, and I I take those things very personally. So, you know, every once in a while he'd come up and say, "What about this?" or "What about that?" and and I would state my objection or my acceptance and be like, "Yeah, no, that sounds a lot better." Or, but yeah, I I thoroughly objected to him promising me things that that sounded you know, I mean, they sound beautiful, those promises, but I think if the, the promises aren't kept, it, it becomes offensive. And I just didn't want to have, I didn't want him to be put into a position where he was promising me things that he might not really be capable of managing. And the same went for me. Uh, we 
we don't have wedding rings because I don't believe that they are any kind of symbol that actually signifies marriage. Too many married couples have uh, adulterous affairs. It certainly doesn't stop people. There are people out there who are turned on by married people. They think that they can, you know, lure them away, um, you know, for illicit sex, you know, outside of marriage, and that's that's their kind of kink. And so I just don't think wedding rings, uh, they can cause more problems than they actually solve and, They've, they've got nothing to do with marriage. They, they're just some weird symbol that I don't know who came up with it, but it certainly wasn't something that I wanted. I've been married before. I had a ring before, uh, and that marriage was was rubbish. And um, I felt, no, if I'm, if I'm married, it's because I say I'm married. And, you know, it's got to be something that just comes out all the time. A ring is never going to actually... Uh, replace how I feel about Simon and how much I love Simon. And um, and when I go out into the world, I'm always in love with him and I make it very, very clear to people that, that I'm definitely very married. I asked Maria and Simon what their vows said if they didn't want them to contain promises of forever. In response, Maria offered to read me her vows, and naturally, I accepted. I will serve thee and be yours for as many days as your eyes and heart can take favour upon me. You shall be my Lord for all the breaths offered me by the heavens. You shall be my Lord wherever I walk upon this earth and within it. It will be my duty and my pleasure to have all that cross my path or view me assured that I am one unto you and you alone. That wherever I travel, I shall bring grace to your name, that I will treasure it as I carry it loyally and use it only in times whereas to bring you honour to you and to your family. Furthermore, I will accept your life as it is revealed to me in all its glorious manifestations from each day to the next. And I will venture to be remembered each moment that you are a gift sent to me and that I am now and forevermore blessed. I offer you my love and take only from you what you freely offer me. Very beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, but basically that was it. It was kind of we just have we have to take each day as it is and um, I, I can only expect from Simon what he can give me when I fell in love with him, he hadn't done anything, you know. I, I, I was in love with him when he was nothing. And so everything beyond that um, has just basically been a blessing. Every day is a gift. And it still is. I don't think there's anything in my vows. I haven't overstepped the mark in anywhere, anyway. Everything I stated I have basically lived up to on a very daily basis. Simon then read out his marriage vows, which came in two parts. The asking goes, Maria, since I have known you, you have given me such joy that I didn't think was possible in my lifetime. You have given me a greater understanding of love and brought out the best in me by allowing me to be myself. You are the most wonderful person I have ever known, an incredible lover and a true friend. 
and I love you, Maria, with all my heart and soul. Maria, will you marry me and live with me as my wife for as long as our love lasts? Of course, she said yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, Maria, I promise to be honest and trustworthy to you at all times, to put you before all others and support you in all that you do. I promise to be faithful to you and to honour you during our life together. I promise to be true to myself and thus true to our relationship. And while we are married, I promise to be with you through the good times and the bad until death brings us closer still together. Oh, that's really lovely, Simon. Thank you both very much for sharing those with me. That's okay. Oh, very welcome. My pleasure. I, oh, I love hearing it. <laughs> Ever since they laid eyes on each other at the Beltane Festival, Maria has written hundreds of poems about Simon and about the two of them together. They range from the romantic to the erotic and include poems about their Canberra adventures together. Maria says that she hadn't been inspired to write poetry when she was with her ex-husband, but when it came to Simon, she was just overwhelmed with feeling and had to let it out. The words just flooded out of me like it, it was the only way that I could actually contain myself was to actually start writing because I needed to let it out and get it out uh, I'd never written so much in my life um, none of my poetry would exist except for the fact that Simon's in my life so th the fact that there's anything written down is because he exists he's here so these are more of a testament to to his existence than my ability to actually put pen to paper. Uh, but there are literally hundreds and hundreds of poems and they are about him, good, the bad, the, the sex, the everything, you know, you name it. Um, I've had poems um, that I've written about um, even his death. He went to um, Melbourne once. He was going to Melbourne for two weeks to go to work and I suffered such grief as though he had died and I I wrote a poem about his death and and how how that affected me and um so when he got back from his his work trip yeah I had to show him this poem that I'd, I'd basically just been in grief the whole time he'd been gone. In terms of the poetry about their adventures. You want to tell the jelly bath one? <laughs> Oh, look, we had, um, I had this fantasy once and I really wanted to have a jelly bath. So I went to, um, I think it was in Coles and I had to buy about like 40 or 70 packets of, of aeroplane jelly and we made this jelly bath <laughs> and um, we, we ended up having that together. It was extremely sweet, but it was cold. It was very cold. <laughs> uh, it was kind of gooey. You know, but we did it because it was something that I wanted to do, so we did it. And uh, afterwards, yeah, I wrote a poem about that. We both have very different sort of needs on a sort of sexual level. I, I kind of like kind of nearly being caught, and um, that has actually led to us uh, probably having quite a lot of sex in and around Canberra um, in some pretty special places and in places that we, you know, 
we, we've had some real close calls in getting busted. You know, even at the Commonwealth Park, there's a nice little bridge there and it's just in a kind of a little bit of a nook. So, yeah, we're up on the bridge and um, we we're very lucky nobody had walked past at that stage. There was another time we'd been going for a walk around um, Lake Ginandera and we just sort of stopped off and went into the bushes and, you know, next to it <laughs> had sex by a tree and just as we were finishing coming back out, the, a jogger went past and um, it's the National Library. I'm a real outdoorsy type of girl and I, I kind of like that sort of thing. <laughs> also felt a lot more safer sort of coming up with our own fantasies with each other that were very far reaching probably than we would have been with any other partners. Ultimately for me, if, if there's something Simon wants to try, um, you know, then I'm, I'm obliging or, you know, we'll discuss it, you know, as part of our, you know, marriage, you know, like so... Oh, it's never come to the point where we've had a third person, for example, but we had talked very earlier on in our relationship. I was like, well, look, you know, if you wanted a third person, you know, and it'd still have to be part of our marriage, we'd have to, you know, perhaps look for that person together and, and make that decision together. And, um, you know, whether I'm just watching or participating, it really, you know, makes no difference, but that's never really come to that so far. I mean, do you need another person? Did <laughs> you? Yeah. My purpose is to make Simon happy, so if something made him happy, then that makes me happy and and I can take myself to that place and vice versa. Maria used to do readings of her poems in and around Canberra. There were gigs at pubs, festivals and on radio. She found that her erotic poetry worked best at pubs, so that was what she gave her audience. There had been times where, yeah, I'd get up and perform and my basis on working out whether the performance or the poetry was of, or had actually worked or was any good, was trying to work out exactly how many men went to the toilet straight after me finishing. Um, and I imagine that they were all in there relieving themselves. I'm certain of it. But, yeah, that would be it. I'd be sitting there going, oh, three people, five people. <laughs> Simon, did you used to go and watch Maria perform these poems? Yes, yes, I did. Not every time, I think, but uh, I went out to support her. And I, I loved it when she would recite these poems that she had written about me or thinking about me um, because she'd be looking at me when she was, she'd uh, recite them and you could see that she had written about all coming to the surface. I really got the, the, the impression that uh, she would, would read them much, much better or recite them much better um, with me in the room because that's who she was really saying them to. Mm. But Simon, how did you feel about these sort of personal details being shared with the room? Um, I was happy to, to support Maria. Um, it was a, uh, I guess a little confronting, but I couldn't see any negative effects on me and, and, uh, or on Maria for that matter. And, uh, 
as far as uh, her erotic poetry, I, to you know, it's inspired by me. And um, who am I to to stop it from expressing that? When I asked Maria if she could read out one of her poems on this podcast, she put a call out to her friends on Facebook to seek suggestions. Ultimately, she settled on one that Simon chose. It's called The Theory of Spontaneous Combustion and was written less than a year into their relationship. To hark back to what we talked about earlier, it's about the overwhelming emotions of love that can impact you to the point of being painful. Maria prefaced her reading with this little anecdote. I had a friend of mine once say, oh, you know, that period of lust, you know, it doesn't generally last more than 18 months. And um, I'm sure we went for a good six years still looking like madly in love teenagers. It was terrible. I think it was really quite embarrassing for most people. But, you know, to me, Simon's the only person in the room. So uh, what other people think, I couldn't care less really. <laughs> Simon needs me to kiss him. I'll kiss him and I'll make it good. Yeah. But um, yeah, this one's called The Theory of Spontaneous Combustion and it is, it is about um, those overwhelming emotions. A vessel of which created holds so, only that what its size contains, not meant for things larger than existence, not meant for the existence to be larger than it. But for me, what started as a glimmering star has turned to a roar of meteors endlessly competing, my mortal being surely not capable of holding the universe at peaceful bay. Oh, how my love for you will destroy me one day. As the pressure builds and grows so steady, grows deeper and longer, faster and more meaningful, growing out of control, becoming larger than the life it is consuming. I have heard of this before, you know, and I've often wondered at why some people go the way they have, but now I see the greatest lovers of all time, I'm sure, before being able to express their devotion, spontaneously combusted due to love's pure emotion, and never was there a cause to be found, no written words recorded to state their obvious fate, no time left to see how their love was so great. There was nothing left. It was all too late. Well, nothing but spread out bits of body parts, but I bet no one ever has found their hearts, for they were taken to create new stars, to start new glimmers in new lovers, staring into magical starlit skies of old loves that have all been by. We'd always thought that it'd be important for us, especially with the kind of relationship that we've we started off with. I mean, we are a love at first sight couple. That there had to be a reason why we came together, and it has always been really important to us to understand the responsibility we feel that we should have to to let people know about true love and that it exists, and um, you know, in all sorts of different ways. It was really important for us to take our love and take it to people so that they can start knowing that it exists. Because before I met him, like I said, I, I got to the point where I was thinking, not, you know, this love thing, that's that's just a joke someone plays on you, you know, to make your life look completely 
you know, sad and useless, you know, because who has that? It's it's not possible. It's not real. It doesn't exist. And for us, it was a responsibility that we had that I wanted people to know, no, hang on, this really does exist and it's out there and you can have this. Everyone can have this. You've just got to look a little harder sometimes and you've got to, you know, have you set your standards higher. I mean, I got married before because my standards obviously weren't very high. Um, but no, you just you you set your standards high. You say no, I I want more. I I deserve more. Um, I deserve better. You know, this is not what love should be about. You know, it should be all the most beautiful things in the world. Uh, it, it should be the greatest thing. It should be what you aspire to have in your heart. been together for more than 18 years and it seems to me like your love has remained as intense now as it was in those early days. Why or how do you think that's happened? I can't help the love. I honestly, I can't. I wake up every day and I see his face and I am overwhelmed every single day. So for that very first experience with him, um, nothing has changed for me. There's just that thorough knowledge. Um, I mean, you know, we have good days and bad days, but I, I would never do anything that would jeopardise my relationship with him because if for whatever reason I did something and he walked away from me, I would be devastated and I would never allow that situation to occur. I, I couldn't allow it. Um, I just love him so much. But for Simon, obviously, that's, I mean, we're two different people. I mean, you know, how do you how do you find every day and everyday love? I agree that uh, also for me, um, our love has, hasn't has diminished. Um, it's only grown. Uh, you know, I guess being true to ourselves and true to each other with that honesty, uh, you know, even when things get a bit difficult or we might have a disagreement and but we're committed to to work it through and either find that middle ground or work out between us you know our, our emotions and and how we really feel and we've grown from that every day is a blessing when i wake up in the morning though i'm you know it is a new slate for me pretty much every day and i wake up and first thing i say to him every single day uh, is that I love him. Oh, he's beautiful. I love your face. Um, that included this morning. You know, I just I love to to just watch him. Um, but yeah, that I, I wake up in the morning and whatever has happened the day before just tends to melt away because in my heart I, I love him and he is everything to me. He is the world and that truth is just always there. It, it always sitting in the background, no matter what, you know, good or bad times we have, it's just, he is the one and that's all there is to it. It took, it took a long time for me to, to uh, get used to Maria calling me beautiful. Um, I, I don't think my ex-wife made me feel very beautiful at all, but uh, yeah, it took, took me a while to see what she saw and, uh, you know, it wasn't just flattery, it was a real belief. To end, Maria has some parting words for all you listeners and lonely hearts out there. 
I wish the kind of love that we have on everyone. I want everyone to have this love. It can be a little unfair that it's just us. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I honestly, I send that out there and I just hope it touches everyone. What I do, what I do, da da do, da da do. Love, Canberra is written and produced by me, Ivana Ho. Theme music is courtesy of Proletaire. The interstitial music is by Poddington Bear. If you'd like to receive a special little note from me relating to each episode and to be notified about new episodes, sign up to the Love, Canberra Dispatch. Just visit my website, click on Contact, and you'll almost be home. On the next episode of Love, Canberra. If you ask someone who was a little bit self-conscious, if they were an introvert or an extrovert, you know, you just met them and they were an introvert, they'd probably tell you they were an extrovert. I mean, I, me, two or three years ago, I probably would have. I would have put on a face and pretended as much as I could. But now I just don't give a shit anymore. I've given up. <laughs> That's next time on Love, Canberra. Thanks for listening.